Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is kindly sponsored by Papier. Papier offers a bespoke collection of customizable stationery created in collaboration with artists, tastemakers, and brands. They use sustainably sourced FSC certified papers. Whether you're perking yourself up with a new planner or looking for a set of thank you cards, Papier will have the design for you. I absolutely love using the site as a way to personalize birthday cards for my friends and family. You can upload your favorite photos to make cards feel extra special. I'm also a big fan of their wellness journals as a way to note down any reflections and musings about things like my meditation and my water intake and my sleep. All the Small Things listeners can get 15% off their first order. Just enter the code VENETIA15 at checkout. Thanks very much to Papier. Hello and welcome back to the show. Venetia here and this week I am joined by the best teacher in the world. Andrea Zafiraku is an art and textiles teacher at Alperton Community School in Brent, one of the world's most ethnically diverse places. She has worked her entire teaching career of 14 years at Alperton and was promoted to Deputy Head of Art within a year of her arrival. She is now Associate Deputy Head Teacher, leading on staff professional development. In 2018, Andrea won $1 million when she was crowned the best teacher in the world by the Varkey Foundation. Using that prize money, she founded a charity called Artists in Residence with an aim to improve arts education in schools. Andrea's brand new book, Those Who Can Teach, What It Takes to Make the Next Generation, is an inspiring story about what it takes to work on the front lines of education today, a call for people to value the arts in state education, as well as a powerful reminder that a teacher ready to listen can transform a person's life. I am so thrilled to have Andrea on the show with me today. Let's get into it. Well, firstly, Andrea, hello. I'm so excited to chat to you and I'm just so delighted that you're on this podcast. Welcome to All The Small Things. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Seriously, this is just like brilliant. I'm looking forward to this chat. Now, let's let's crack on. I actually read recently in The Guardian that you're at work every single day by 7.30 a.m. So I would like to know everything that happens before you get to school. What do your mornings at home look like? Uh, okay, the, uh, <laughs> the, the buzzer, I think the snooze goes in about three or four times like oh my god get out get out I could probably get kicked by my husband get out now it's actually quite calm in the mornings because I don't have to worry about the kids that they are managed by my husband um which is brilliant so I can just wake up just do my you know get ready go downstairs cup of tea out the door done in school listen to the music on the way in um yeah and it's it's all quite calm you go into school at 7 30 and the car park is nearly packed anyway so you're just trying to keep you know just trying to get a space in the car park is is, is my mission in the morning I have read uh, about your um, energy levels, which I am very, very delighted to say are exactly what I expected. You have a, a lot of energy. Are you a caffeine person? Are you a breakfast person? Or is this just all you? Um, 
Oh, good question. I think just all me. Um, although I love my tea, I love my coffee, um, you know, bring on the chocolate. I think I literally shut down and stop when I'm in my bed, which is quite nice. <laughs> that's my that's my zone. That's my do not disturb zone. <laughs> I'm also really interested to know how ingrained the school calendar and timetable are in the way you live your life because I haven't been at school for a very, very, very long time, 13 years. And yet I still count September as my new year. I still find myself having a break at 10.50 in the morning, every morning. So yeah, how ingrained is that timetable in how you live your life? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It takes over your life. I mean, you know, these half terms that our teachers get and we love, um, we're still up at six o'clock when the buzzer goes, that's when our body clock is up. Um, I think it takes us like a, a couple of weeks in the summer holiday just to get that out of our system. Um, but it's it's so ingrained. You're so right. You're looking at the watch. Oh my God, I've got to be on duty now. Oh my God, I've got to go down to the bar. Oh my God, the kids are coming out. Bus stop time. Come on, let's go outside. So um, <laughs> it's, oh God, you pick this up. This is a teacher thing. All teachers get this. <laughs> But yeah, the routine is ingrained. Yeah, every single minute is counted for in the day. Mm. I can imagine in school holidays, you must get this little like wave of panic when you're like, shit, I've li- I've, I've had a lion and actually it's fine. It's the holidays. It's not, it's the, actually that's the hooray. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yay, I'm on my school holiday. Let me just cry. <laughs> There's always a thing, I don't know if you know about it, but it's the Sunday before. So the Sunday night before you go back to school, nobody sleeps. There's like this anxiety thing or this I can't sleep because I'm so excited thing or will I sleep from my alarm clock thing um, that I would say 99% of teachers in this country have it. The Sunday night, no sleep thing. Oh my gosh. I had a Sunday night, no sleep thing last night. So maybe that's leftover from school. I would love to wind back the clocks a little bit and hear about your upbringing and your roots because I know you're Greek Cypriot and yeah, I just love to hear about where you grew up and how that experience was for you and what your kind of strongest memories are. It's really interesting. I don't think until until winning the award, actually, I, I you know, I'm very proud to be Greek Cypriot um, and come from, um, you know, and have these, have, have the, my culture behind me. But um, I don't think I've ever been so proud about my culture, my heritage as I have been or been more aware of it. It's the whole kind of family, it's the whole kind of food, it's the whole kind of in your face, it's the noise, it's the it's the the pride, it's the um the funny things that you can kind of hear. So like my grandmother would say, um, you know, in, in Greek, let's go to Max and Spence, and that's Marks and Spence's, or let's have fishing, fishing so that's fish fingers for 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 afternoon tea after school. Um it's just I, I, I think it's just brought so much richness in my life. I lived across the road from my parents. So that, yeah, the one big fat Greek family thing is just, that is my life. Um, so it's, it's huge. It's massive. And I love it. I love it. I can't, I don't imagine it being any other way. And the reason why it's so important to me is that I can see the difference with students who have got that kind of family unit behind them that kind of that richer community to those who haven't experienced it and those who haven't it's you know they 
there's a loss there. There's a massive gap, which you're just like, oh man, I can, now I know why you're like that. Now I know why you haven't, you know, you feel isolated or you feel kind of angry or, you know, you don't, you don't feel like you're cared for because you haven't got that kind of unit of, of that community behind Mm. you. People, young people who do have this kind of family and community background, this really rich connection, they just feel happier and more secure. I don't know, maybe I could be wrong, but that's what I've noticed. I would love to hear what one of your most inspiring memories from right at the start of your teaching career is because there are just so many like unbelievably inspiring stories in your book and I I know you have a lot of them so I'm wondering it yeah what 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 one might have been right at the start of your teaching career the one that comes to mind is um yeah it's in the book really it's the story um of the student who against all odds all odds got a GCSE grade in arts and so this is the kid who parents said um, oh, you know, the, basically the background is he came from a special educational needs school and his parents said, we just want him to blend in and to go into a, uh, into a, a normal school. Um, and I was really scared to know, how do I teach a child like this? How do I teach a child who's got so many different types of um, special educational needs labels? Um, there's no way I could, I could, you know, push him on. There's no way I could do teach him or to get him to pass a grade. And just knowing that already, that kind of that, that defeatness, that the fact that his parents gave up and I gave up. And yet at the end of a very long um, a year and a half, this kid just blew us away with his amazing talents. And, you know, he just, he was so at home in the art room and he, he just overcame everything. He broke the ceilings. He, he shone And from that moment, I just promised myself I was never, ever going to judge a child again and listen to those people that say he can't. Yeah, I think that's the story. I just want to say congratulations on your amazing book. Oh, thank you. Did you read it? Honestly, I've read the whole thing front to back and it's fantastic it's fantastic um I just thought it was really inspiring really heartwarming really encouraging but also like a very important kind of call to arms like I just think it's amazing I it reminded me of this is going to hurt and I think the impact that this is going to hurt by Adam Kay had on our perception obviously this was before COVID our perception of the NHS and the health system I feel like your book is going to be that for the school system I just think it's amazing oh my god god bless you god bless you and thank you for saying that when I was first approached to write a book I my my initial response was why I'm so boring <laughs> my life is boring I, I'm, I'm a teacher I just do what every other teacher in the world does and I think that's what's so special about it the fact that it's not necessarily about my you know my life but it's really focuses on what happens in a classroom in an inner city London school um, and it's the same stories that I bet every single teacher who teaches in inner city schools experience. It's the same kids that we have in front of us. And it's just a celebration of them. It's a celebration of these students and also what teaching really is, because I don't think anyone realizes it's not just about going in, teaching your subject. It's the other stuff that we have to do, the other things that we have to kind of always be, be focused on, you know, the, the well-being, the the mental health, the, you know, have they eaten, the, the parenting, all of that, which just adds up 
to adds pressure to a young person um, and how they access their education. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm so happy to hear your feedback. It's, I'm really proud of it, really, really proud of it. And everyone who's read it so far have really connected with it and said, um, I like the part where you spoke about this child because this child was really similar to my best friend or I went through the same experiences. And that's powerful, man. You're just like, mm. wow. Wow. Yeah, you should feel so proud, honestly. I, oh, I think it's you. just brilliant. Um, and it actually reminds me of a quote that you say in the book. You say, should the government want to understand and improve the lives of today's school children, ministers need to speak to teachers. Instead of asking what changes need to be made in the curriculum, the gov- the government should ask us what kids' lives look like in the 21st century, about their mental health issues, self-harming, or about going hungry, or about the abuse they witness at home. This is the information that is not captured by the facts and figures they demand from schools, and yet it is the nuts and bolts of what we deal with every single day. So I would love to hear about the shortcomings of the government's target-based approach, because you do talk about this in the book. Yeah, I mean, it's... um. I mean, every, ever since I can remember, my life has just been about um, trying to kind of make sure that every child reaches their target grade and their target grade is based on, um, is, is based on um, a, a number which has been taken, put into a computer system, algorithms gone a bit crazy and then, hey, presto, this child at the end of five years in your care should come out with this GCSE grade. And I've really struggled with that because with that, they've not thought about their postcode where they live, perhaps, um, their 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 own kind of background in terms of where they've come from, um, what parents, what pressures they have from parents, what what's the socioeconomical climate which they're facing. Um, they're not they're not taking that into account. And I'm really, really gutted about that. And I think this is this is why I've always kind of felt really pressured about the arts. The fact that the arts, there's something quite exceptional which we do in our in our in our um, in our classrooms. We're able to we're able to really kind of prove everyone wrong. We're able to just say to um, to the world, to, you know, the leaders, to the government to say, well, actually, this child who you had predicted to have got nothing at the end of their five years stay with us um, have now got a GCSE or have got a higher GCSE than expected. And that's because our subject has really transformed them. Our subject has really helped them to become more comfortable, more confident, help them to access the curriculum. Um, so... So it's really about the reality. Sometimes I really feel that the people who are making the decisions have got no idea, have got no idea. And because of COVID, I think that's come really, really um, to light. <laughs> uh, some of the decisions that have been made are like, what? <laughs> they really expect us to do that. So it's... Can you give me an example of that? Well, it's about, um, you know, this whole... Right, for example, this whole testing thing... Um, I don't know, apart from the army, of course, but I don't know which other profession would have pulled that incredible ask off. 
the fact that they expected um, every schools to secondary schools to test their students for COVID, um, to make sure that our schools are COVID safe completely, um, to still deliver outstanding lessons, to make sure that our children's welfare is intact, to do all of that um, while still delivering a really strong curriculum and being held account to that as well. Um, and having the pressures of Ofsted l- lingering behind us saying, oh, we could come in at any time, you know. So I just feel that sometimes our voice is not valued or what really happens is not valued. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's just, it's, it's enough's enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> enough is enough, yeah. Some, some of the kind of most teary moments I found with your book was when you you gave stories about how the arts and your lessons and and being able to teach these children art had literally got them from a place of not communicating, not being able to look you in the eyes, not being able to make friends, not being able to speak out loud, you know, and then the arts and doing art helps them get to a place where they can communicate, where they can have friends, where they're suddenly being asked to be quiet in the classroom. Like it's a complete 180. And I just think being so grades focused doesn't, like you say, it like detracts from that incredible work that you've managed to get a student whose first language isn't even English to then become one of the loudest, most creative people probably in this school year I just think that is amazing no and and it's 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 a reality I mean I'll give you an example we've got some students now who are applying to go to um, Oxford or Cambridge um, the Russell Group Universities uh, and they have got the most amazing grades you can think of you know they're they're the, the top kids you can think of but when it comes to little things like interview techniques or being able to talk or just to communicate they really lack these skills. And these are the skills where, you know, whether you like it or not, in subjects like drama, in subjects like music, in the arts, you are going to have to be faced with these skills. You're going to have to really come up because these are the subjects that push you to communicate and to, and to talk about yourself, um, why you have done this, why it's important to you. And this is what I think, um, why I think, the arts are under are underestimated and devalued for that particular reason. How do you think the government could improve the arts education in the UK? I get asked this question quite a lot, and I really struggle. I, I, I'm really kind of um, thinking, well, what is the answer? Is there a quick fix? I don't think there is a quick fix, but there's loads of things that we can start thinking about and, and putting into place. For example. We have this kind of thing in this country whereby we like putting everything into a box. So if you like science, that's that box there. Maths, that's that box there. Arts, that box there. Um, Humanities, that box there. Sports, that box there. So instead of thinking these subjects in a way that they could be actually holistic, um, and you can, they can work together. We just segregate everyone and put labels on them. Now, if you think about some of the that some of the the communities and and incredible work that's happening on the continent, um, and if you think about our, our our role models like Da Vinci, like Einstein, who there wasn't any limitations. Da Vinci was a scientist and he was an artist, um, celebrated at equal in equal rights. So 
why are we doing this? Why are we just labeling subjects to be better than others? Let's just completely scrap that. Let's think about a curriculum which is really blended, which is, you know, it just works across all different types of, of skills and specializations. I would also think about the EBAC and have you, how have you used the EBAC? Did you study the EBAC? I didn't. I did GCSEs and then A levels. Right. So, um, have you ever seen an application form that says, have you studied the EBAC? I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. It does, exactly. Exactly. It will, it, there's, uh, your, your application form, so job will be, what are your, what are your GCSEs? What are your A-levels? What have you studied? That's it. And I think this is where I think um, there is so much present on this thing called the EBAC, which is just a group of subjects. Uh, and why do we need to pressurize our students to, believe that these by studying these groups of subjects um, that will make them better off in their future I don't know I just think it's not fair it's not right Mm. that's a really good answer thank you deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'd love to know how well you think the UK government, I know we've kind of touched on it, but maybe in a little, we could go into it in a little bit more depth. How well do you think the government caters to a diverse, a diverse student population? You see, that's really interesting because I don't know the other end of it. I've always lived in a very kind of multicultural community, multicultural society. I've always seemed to work in a very multicultural school. So I'm not sure what it would look like on the other, in, in the other I don't know, lenses or with the other glasses on. However, um, I would like to think there was much more emphasis on raising the profile of Black Afro-Caribbean achievement, of um, Asian achievement in our our society, um, getting some really brilliant role models visible, um, you know, with bad stories and good stories that our, our young people can really celebrate themselves and identify with themselves. And I think it's really important that we just focus on the woman and girls and make sure that they are, and, you know, we are goddesses, you and I, as you know, (laughs) but just making sure that every girl feels really respected, valued um, and honoured in her household and in school. I think that's just a really great way of, of getting things at an equal level, as it were. I love that. It's been a terrible period in the UK when it comes to making sure that all school children's needs are met. 
Uh, in your book, you explain that you have taken a child to Asda before to buy them a decent uniform, which you paid for out of your own pocket. How do you feel about issues like this and the free school meals debacle, for example? Yeah, I mean, it's, oh God, it's just so unfair. It, it It's so unfair what our young people have to tolerate and put up with, um, even though where they shouldn't you know come on what kind of a country is this you know we're so you know there is money in our country no child should be left hungry no child should be left um experiencing poverty experiencing neglect it should not exist um and and it really frustrates me now with my stories I honestly have not been trying I, I wrote my stories not trying to prove that I'm amazing I wrote my stories because I wanted to prove that there these lives exist, that these hardships exist, and it and the bureaucracy sometimes to make to make a difference is hard. The level of free school meals, that kind of that boundary where a family has got to apply for free school meals, it is you know if they're one penny over, they can't they're not eligible. We're actually it's it's harmful. It's for their health, for the, for the young people's health if they're one penny over. So. Um, I just think so much more needs to go into it, into the whole kind of looking at that social response structure. I think COVID revealed or shone a light on a lot of the injustices that were very much there. I think the whole population was just up in absolute arms last year when it was so clear that we had so much money and yet the government were letting kids go hungry. It was just, it was just so heartbreaking. It's been a year since the start of COVID. I'm wondering if you've had time to kind of reflect on some of the challenges that you faced over the past year and perhaps if there have been any kind of useful learnings from the time as well? Oh, I mean, absolutely. There's been amazing, I mean, there's been some really great moments. Um, First of all, having the opportunity, and this is the first lockdown, just to stop and pause and think, oh my God, you know, I, I work 20 hours a day, you know, I don't stop, I don't reflect. And sometimes having that chance just to stop and then see right how can we let's just problem solve let's just put things into action what can we do how can we deliver this what is it and I thought that was great in terms of helping us helping schools helping school leaders to think of solutions themselves because at the end of the day this we've never experienced anything like this no one and I think the resilience of schools the resilience of teachers is just epic in this country amazing um I've learned that I hate teaching online <laughs> I, so I can honestly say I hate teaching online however um I have had you know when you kind of go into autopilot so I've been teaching for 15 years and for and it, it's almost stayed that in that same way I've used the same resources I've used for 10 years because they were they were great but because of COVID and having to move from my amazing physical gorgeous classroom into a screen a 14 inch screen and having to think about oh my god how am I going to keep their attention span for an hour what activities can they do in their houses what artists can I do that can really inspire them do they have resources how am I going to engage them oh my god they've just had five out like four hours of online learning and they've got art period five they're going to be dead you know so it's um that was what my thinking was like. And I loved it. I liked the fact that I was pushed out of my comfort zone, that I had to really think about the structure of my lessons, like doing, keeping it short, sharp, have it put in breaks in the middle, um, getting them just to stand up, walk away from the screen, um, 
just thinking about different ways of good quality teaching, new ways. Uh, and I think because of that, I've I've upskilled, I've learned better systems, and I could say that I'm a little bit more kind of confident with tech. <laughs> but don't hold your breath. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's been really great. Um, what what I've also learned is that there's some kids who I'd, I'd call them the ghosts, really, the ones who are so quiet in school and almost invisible when you've got a 1,700 population school. Um, but during COVID, because their environment was solid and secure, these kids just thrived. They loved it. They were they work independently. They just can kind of they they like the systems, they like the structures, and they were just flying. They wanted more work, more work, more work. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it was amazing. Really, really powerful. And so my challenge now is to make sure that those kids now they've come back to that really big big kind of classroom lots of people in there that they still feel that they are achieving that, that that level of progress that momentum is still there they don't start disappearing back into those little ghost worlds um that's what really was an eye-opener um in a really positive way actually for me mm. that is so so interesting I, I hadn't thought of that and that yeah that's really really interesting to hear about um I just want to mention your tweet joking about the government cyber ad, um, which I'll actually How link in the episode I notes. I couldn't believe that. I mean, what idiots? What? How could you do that? What are you? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Carry on. Your, finish your question. Sorry. Well, I can describe. I can describe it. It is a. So it was a picture of. Um, it was a picture of a ballerina, and it says Fatima's next job could be in cyber. She just doesn't know it yet. And your tweet said, "For all our budding ballerinas out there, please ignore this advert and live your dream. We need you to be you," which I, of of course, absolutely loved. Are you worried about the effect that COVID will have had on the arts education in the UK? Absolutely, I am worried. I am worried because. Um, I'm worried because of silly messages like that. It's meant that our young people and who want to do the arts, they're thinking, well, maybe there's no job because, you know, many of the museums have, have had to close, many of the theatres have had to close. And what have these, what have the um, the dancers, the singers, what have they done um, during that time? So they may be having to think about looking for new careers. And that for me is just, oh, that just, that blew me away. That made me so sad. We're actually, what we should be doing is really helping these individuals by thinking of other platforms that we can support them into showcasing and to carrying on the amazing work they do. You know, just really thinking outside the box, thinking what skills do these young people have, right? How can we connect them? How can we connect these incredible dancers with our, with our, with our young people in our schools? What can we do? I think there's, yeah, I think automatically, again, once again, we just went heavy on the science um, and not really thought about the, the way that we use our language to for the for the people who it's in them. The arts are in you. They're absolutely in you. They're part of your body. They're a DNA. You can't just cut it off. You can't switch it off. It's there. It makes you happy. It's your air. It's your it's how you breathe. It's your oxygen. Why are we telling people to start suffocating? I don't get it. Mike, drop. Loved that. 
Thank you. I loved that. I love what you said. Oh, I'm just getting really frustrated. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, just, I, I completely I agree. I completely agree. Made, no, you made me think about that. I'm just thinking, again, what is the mentality of some of these people in, in these roles? I mean, anyway, anyway, there you go. <laughs> it just makes you feel quite sad, doesn't it, really? It makes me, it makes me feel sad. Because obviously it's coming from people who, like, have no connection to that space and really just don't understand it and also don't, like are empathy free almost like just doesn't make any sense um I would love to talk a little bit about children's mental health um we exist so heavily in online spaces these days and have been especially over lockdown like we spoke about um which is why I really appreciated the kind of nuance you brought to the digital teaching. Um, I found it interesting when you talked about cyberbullying in your interview on Scandinavian talk show Scavlan. Mm-hmm. And in your book, you share concerns about the impact smartphones are having on our relationships with our families and children. I would love to, I'd love to hear you discuss this issue a little bit more um, because I only started using Facebook when I was in my late teens. Instagram didn't come into my life until like my early 20s. Um, and I can't imagine how it would have affected me if I if I had if it had existed when I was much younger so yeah I'd just love to hear your thoughts on all things social media tech and kids yeah I mean it's fascinating I um all right let me give an example this this, this should give it away so um I have I love the voice you know I love the UK I love watching the voice on the, the TV show okay yeah, yeah I love watching the Saturday voice I love it I mean it was like a massive family thing whatever happens we are watching the voice um and I really I'm delighted that Craig won and so I went into school the next day and I was teaching my year eights and I said guys who watched the voice Craig won and they all looked at me as if to say what 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 are you talking about miss like well, what's the voice? What program is it? And I was like, come on, guys, who 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 watched the voice? Out of 30 kids, two hands put their two kids put their hands up. And I'm like, well, what do the rest of you do? Miss, we game. We game. I'm like, what do you mean? We game. And you know, we're all online at the same time. We game together. And I just thought, bloody hell. Sorry. I don't know if I could. I just thought, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, bloody hell. Um, I thought, <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it, they're just they, they're just into this gaming thing, which is, I know it's incredible. It's stimulating. It's created by designers. It's amazing, but it's addictive. And they kind of, um, this is my biggest concern. The fact that because this is what entertains them, um, yeah, there's, there, there will be huge issues in the future in terms of how, how they socialize. Now, social media—I mean, it's not just about social media, but things like um, like WhatsApp groups and and um, chat groups and things like that. That's actually killed us, um, killed teachers in school. Because what happens is, as a parent, you know, you say to your you say to a parent, "Where is your child? Oh, he's safe. He's upstairs. He's not on the streets." But then you say, "But what's he doing upstairs? Oh, oh, he's on his computer. What's he doing on his computer? What's he looking at? Who is he playing with?" You know, well, who is he listening to? What's what's his go-to? And I think this is the danger: the fact that we don't actually know what is happening to our student, to our kids, who is drawing them in, what's fascinating them, um, who they're trying to kind of feel that they can connect with their identity. And it scares me. It really scares me. Um, sometimes you feel like you know when they're out playing in you know playing in the in the in the parks and whatever yeah you feel scared but at least you can see that they're in a park and they're with a human being but when they are online you don't know who is on the other end and that that frightens me yeah 
But on the other, but on the other hand, sorry, there's all, trying to be optimistic. You know, um, with these amazing influences uh, which we have in our world, yours are truly, of course. Um, it's lovely to also know that sometimes they can connect. They find people they can connect with who represents who they want to be. You know, and sometimes people like yourself, you're the voice of them and you're the role model. And they would never have been able to find that person had it not been for social media or a career or something. Oh, wow, you're doing that. That's a career. You know, so I think that's been quite inspiring as well. So it's it's mostly cons, but there is some benefits from, from this new world that we're seeing. I think those are great reflections. The charity you founded with the one million you won for your award, Artists in Residence, just sounds absolutely amazing. So please, can you tell us a little bit more about where you started it and what your hopes are for the next year? So I was asked whether or not I wanted to be the, like, kind of like the poster girl for education. And I decided to turn that down. This is the opening of your book, which just like sucks you in that story. I was like, (gasps) This is always, you know, there's like moments in your life where you have to kind of have those 10% braver conversations. And I, I remember the first one was when I was in year nine in school, when I had to tell my parents, I want to do art GCSE. That was it. The second one was telling my parents I wanted to actually, you know, I've fallen in love with a, a person from Africa. Um, so that was, you know, mixed race relationships, very, very tricky um, in my community. And then the third one was this conversation. So I had to turn down a really, you know, unique prestigious offer of being kind of like a poster girl for the um, DFE. Um, And the reason why I turned this job, this kind of opportunity down was because once again, you know, my big heart thinking, Andrea, you know, this is a government that don't like the arts and education. You can't be a poster girl and have all those art teachers, you know, really feel saddened about you. Um, so I basically then thought, what can I do with this money to, because a million dollars is a headache, man. What can you do with this money to um, to make a difference? And it's what we were talking about earlier, about those role models. So having those artists come into schools to say, this is this is um, what I do. And it's about that. So it's, it's creating opportunities for um, professional artists of all backgrounds to come into schools in deprived areas of the country to do projects with young kids, to really help to kind of inspire them about the careers in arts, about um, arts education, with the hope that um, they can then possibly feel that they could then want to take up GCSE or A-level art, or just be creative individuals to appreciate creativity. And that's what we do. And we're really good at it. And I'm so happy. And I love what we do. It's brilliant. It's really good. Amazing. I love that. Thank you. How would you feel about a quick fire round? Bring it, girl. Bring it on. Let's do it. <laughs> quick fire with Andrea. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Dinner. Tea or coffee? Ah, oh, tea. Oh, great. Yeah. In the trees or by the sea? By the sea. Watercolors or oil paints? Oh, that is that is a hard one. I'd say oil paints. Hand sewing or sewing machines? Oh, that's that's not fair. Hand sewing. Early mornings or lions? Lions. Spring or autumn? Autumn. Sunrise or sunset? Oh, nice. Sun sunrise. Podcasts or Netflix? 
Oh, I'm so sorry about Netflix. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> Films or books? Oh man. Um oh films. Yeah. Routine or spontaneity? Spontaneity. And finally, early night or night owl? Uh, night owl. A couple of questions to round up. What lifts your soul? Family, love, happiness. Joy, I love that. What is your one non-negotiable daily self-care habit? At least two cups of tea. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> In the same interview I mentioned earlier with The Guardian, you said, I don't watch TV. I don't ever even go into my living room. Even in my lunch, I'm working. The only time I break is when I'm in my bed. When you do have time to wind down, how do you spend that time? It would be watching a movie. Watching a movie. Yeah. Love that. Uh, yeah. Couch, movie, popcorn. There. I can't wait for the cinemas to be open. I oh can't my wait. gosh, me too. I, I can't wait. That's my one thing. Literally, I, there's two things I'm going to do the moment I come, that when, when things are open again. Number one is um, go and visit a masseuse because I need my whole body cracked and <laughs> whatever. Number two is going to the cinema. What are your cinema <laughs> snacks? Do you have like, do you get the same thing every time? Right, so it's um, it's it's like I always go with my with my two girls. So what we do, we have kind of like our, our you know popcorn. So one of them likes sweet, the other one likes sweet and salty. I like sweet and salty, but in my sweet and salty has got to be a packet of Maltesers. Oh, <laughs> that is the actual dream. I love that, is, that. That's amazing. I know it's just I should I should literally do something about that. I should kind of brand that. But yeah, what one small thing would you like listeners to try out or think about when it comes? to thinking about the education system oh 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 right here you go guys this is what i'd like you to do i would like you to find your favorite teacher who has taught you throughout your your lives that the one teacher who made a massive difference in your life and i want you to find that person to <laughs> not to stalk them to find that person and to contact them to say hi miss it's so-and-so can you remember me you taught me da, 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 da. and I just want to say thank you for da, 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 da. that's what we need to do guys reach out reach out to your favorite teacher send them a little message to say thank you I remember you because we need that we really would love to hear back from you and it would just help us go keep going and just riding through this really tough wave I will be writing to Mrs. Reed, my drama teacher, oh. this evening. Thank you. And finally, what is one thing you hope your future self will have achieved? Oh, I am so lucky where I am, what I've achieved so far. I can't, I'm, I'm so, so, so lucky. I've been blessed with the people around me, the opportunities around me. What I want to achieve is at some point, in about the next kind of 20 years, not sooner, 20 years, is just seeing, reflecting and looking at my girls, my own daughters, and seeing them being happy, fulfilled, really strong women who are just kind of like taking on the world in their own rights. Um, yeah, that's what I want to see. The fact that my own girls are just like killing it in their world. They're just like smashing it. And yeah, that would make me really happy. Amazing. Thank you so much. I think that's a great place to end. And thank you so much, Andrea, for being on this podcast. I'm very, very grateful for you and your time. Oh, I've loved this. Can we do it again? It's yes. So much fun. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> love this so much. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please do share it with a pal or on Instagram, tagging the show at ATST Podcast and me at Venetia Lamana. And I'll see you back here next Tuesday for a brand new episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.